Hey, just before we start the show, be sure to join Global Sport Matters this Friday for GSM Live as we celebrate Pride Month and Global Pride Day. Special guests joining us are Ashlyn Johnson, founder, Inclusion Playbook, Billy Bean, Vice President and Special Assistant to the Commissioner of Major League Baseball, Rosario Coco, Project Manager of Outsport.eu, and Sid Ziegler, Co-Founder of Outsports.com and the National Gay Flag Football League. That's this Friday, June 26th. Be sure to register at GlobalSportMatters.com. And now, the show. Effective immediately, the Chiefs need a new owner. The Tyreek Hill situation put the hunts over the edge. So you want me to buy the Chiefs? You're the perfect candidate. Uh-huh. I'm sure my skin tone doesn't hurt. I'm in the middle of something big. I'm about to buy the Kansas City Chiefs. In the TV series Ballers from HBO, Spencer Strassmore, played by Dwayne The Rock Johnson, buys the Kansas City Chiefs from the Hunt family. And just like any TV show, the road to his ownership is filled with plot twists and turns. They say art imitates life, but could life soon be imitating art? From the Global Sport Institute and Global Sport Matters at ASU, I'm Andrew Ramsamy, and this is The Huddle. For Raymond Bobbitt, a black businessman from Oakland, attempting to save the Raiders from leaving his city has been a long fight, and one that he has lost. Now he's turning his attention to getting the game back to the town, with the hopes that the majority owner of their next team is black. Ray's start on this new journey is a letter to Roger Goodell, commissioner of the NFL. Ray, thanks for joining me. Sure, thank you for having me. We appreciate it. So, Ray, you sent a letter uh, to Commissioner Goodell of the NFL um, from the African-American Sports Entertainment Committee. What is the African-American Sports Entertainment Committee? So what that is, is it's a collective of, you know, African-American business owners or, you know, predominantly African-American business owners uh, from Oakland and the East Bay region, as well as educators um, and professional athletes and entertainers as well. So we're sort of putting together this collective to address the issues of professional sports in Oakland in particular, but we also address just, you know, overall sports in Oakland. So, And in this letter that you sent to Commissioner Goodell, what is it that you're asking for? So what we're asking for is we're asking for Oakland to become the first city uh, to host an NFL team uh, that has an ownership that is predominantly African-American. And that pathway to becoming an owner, um, you know, specifically, the the league requires that it be a primarily sole owner that that puts up at least thirty percent of the purchase price, um, and that they hold a franchise debt limit of less than half of uh, five hundred million dollars. So, who who is that person that you're seeking out? Is that you? Is that I mean, there there are very few African Americans that probably would be able. To do something like this, have you identified who that person would be? Yes. Yeah, so what, one of the things that, that, that we sent in our letter is that um, we realized that uh, the NFL rule as it currently stands requires, you know, the principal or general partner to, you know, pay 30% of a franchise fee. And we would imagine that based on the lowest value of, of the um, lowest valued NFL team of, I think it's the Buffalo Bills at... billion. That would be, you know, roughly somewhere about $600 million. And so what we asked the NFL to do was to allow for our body uh, 
to do two things. A, we would work together with the NFL to identify a list of individuals who would qualify under that term. And if we couldn't find an individual that qualified under that term, we asked, we asked for some, uh, um, some exceptions in their current rule, which would allow for um, a qualified vetted um, principal to uh, either design a scenario where they could raise more funds, more capital through investment, through additional investment, or um, they would be able to increase the total amount borrowed. As we know that the total amount borrowed, even for the principal, is limited according to the NFL rule. And finally, we asked if there, if, if neither of those two things could be achieved, we asked that we would be able to have an exception ruled for us um, of the grandfather rule that the Green Bay Packers, the only nonprofit entity within the National Football League right now, um, has where they are uh, community owned um, and they're, they, you know, they're, a, they're a different model. So what our goal was in that comp part of, of our request is that we realized that um, there's a very specific amount of African-Americans who would be able to qualify period, just under that rule from the standpoint of liquidity. Um, but equally as important, um, we said, hey, you know, if, if that's the requirement, then to some degree it eliminates a lot of really qualified, you know, successful African-American business people. So that we wanted to start that piece of the dialogue. So we didn't want to present a proposal that was typical. We wanted to present a proposal that we felt we could work with the NFL on to to reach a, a, a scenario in which this could be achieved um, for this moment in time. And I'm not sure when Green Bay was able to achieve that, you know, um, that design of ownership um, exactly. But we think at this moment in time um, that, you know, we would, it would be a, a, of great interest to, to us and to the NFL to look at models that would, you know, make that allowable for an African-American group. And, and Oakland has struggled really with, with other franchises, not just the NFL, but within, you know, other major league sporting groups. Um, you know, it has a, a relatively low population. You know, why would your proposal work in Oakland and, and why Oakland? Um, well, I think that there's, if you were just to check the statistics regarding attendance and support, you know, for professional franchises, I think outside of what's currently happening, uh, with the A's, um, uh, and as it relates to, you know, population and support. Um, and you know, the truth is, is that throughout the years that the A's have been supported heavily, um, you know, what, what happened with Golden State Warriors, obviously, and what happened with the Oakland Raiders is that have heavy support. And, and, um, you know, I think we sold out, um, every game. And so, um, I think it was very difficult to find, uh, four consecutive years of net operating losses. Um, and obviously, you know, we, you know, with the Warriors, I mean, that was a, a, a team that we supported through thick and thin. And so I think that when you look at the fan base of Oakland in particular, that's the one benefit. That's the one thing that we feel very strongly about is that the, you know, the, the fan bases of Oakland professional sports really support the teams, you know, when they're winning and when they're losing. And so that's the thing that's, you know, we feel is, is strong from that perspective. So we feel like that it would be, it, we would get the same fan support.
Well, and this is not the first time that you personally have been involved in in trying to keep a team in Oakland. You rallied uh, with a bunch of other folks to be able to keep the Oakland Raiders and unsuccessfully. Now the Oakland Raiders, you know, are, are moving to uh, Las Vegas and will be in Las Vegas. What is this strong desire to want to have sport in Oakland? Well, I think that when you look at Oakland, first of all, um, it's if you look at the placement of the Coliseum complex, um, if if you've ever been, most people have been to a sporting event or a concert in Oakland just based on how many professional sports we te- sports teams we have and plus the arena. Um, but if you go past San Leandro Boulevard, which is where the BART subway system uh, uh, begins and, and allows you to step into the stadium, on the um, east side of that is East Oakland. And it's one of the most underserved communities in the country. And it is one of the, you know, it's, it's a community that is predominantly African-American, has the largest concentration of African-Americans um, in the city. Um, and the, the, it was interesting because when I was helping try to keep the Raiders in Oakland, um, I, oftentimes I worked with fan groups. And one of the things that they said to me is, you know, we really haven't seen you at Raider games or at tailgates, which Raider games are notorious for. And I said, you know, I've never growing up in Oakland really had the opportunity or the money because I grew up in East Oakland to go to Raider games. I've always had an economic relationship with the stadium, with the team, meaning that my brother worked concessions, my sister worked concessions. I sold things outside of the Coliseum. Uh, That sport, professional sports in Oakland at that site in particular is, has a direct economic relationship with the people that live in that community. There are entry-level positions um, for people who live in that community and are trying to supplement income. It's it's more than just a stadium to the people that live there. So my desire comes from sort of that deep, passionate desire. And the truth is, is it was a way for my family and other tons of other families in the area to really utilize the uh, economic opportunity uh, within professional sports there. So it's not just about that. Um, so for, for us, when our group thinks about it, and many of us are from East Oakland, um, we look at it from that standpoint. And we look at this being a moment of time where this would be the perfect uh, you know, public-private partnership, for lack of a better term. So that, that's where that desire comes from. And one of the criticisms that typically gets drawn when either a new team wants, uh, a, new, a new group wants to stand up a team is the amount of taxpayer money that is used to go into building the facility and then the contract of that facility in the long term. What does your proposal entail and would you be using taxpayer money to be able to stand up a team in Oakland? Simple question or simple answer to that question is we would not be asking for taxpayer money. Um, it would be a privately financed stadium. The truth is, is that the all the new stadiums in the Bay Area have been privately financed. Um, the 49er Stadium, which is only 30 miles from us uh, in Santa Clara, was privately financed. The, um, you know, Chase Arena, where the Warriors moved in San Francisco, was privately financed. The uh, Oracle uh, Field, where the Giants play, was privately financed. And the A's are working on a fi- privately financed stadium as well. Um, typically, at this point, the, the, the government subsidy um, is usually within infrastructure. So um, our plan would not be asking for... Uh, you know, for, for public money. Um, so that would be something that would be beneficial as well. Um, but we would want to utilize, um, 
the community to institute job training and, and the opportunity for the people who live in that community to actually help build the stadium. Can you tell me about some of the other members that comprise the African-American Sports and Entertainment Committee? Who are they? What are their interests? And, and, and why did you all decide to come together under this, this committee to send this proposal and this letter to the commissioner of the NFL? Uh, so, again, a lot of the just so you just for for, for transparency, um, when we talked, when the committee and I talked, we talked about who would be proposing the our, our proposal to the NFL. And some of the you know members at this point, we agreed that one person within our committee would actually, you know, identify themselves and sort of run point until we got an answer back from the NFL. As you know, it's very preliminary. We just sent them a letter with a proposal and asking them to, you know, to talk to us and to see if we could start dialogue. Um, some of the people who are, you know, particularly on the capital side, um, we decided that we were just going to, you know, not reveal who that is yet until we get an answer from the NFL and then we can start to reveal that. Um, some of the professional athletes and entertainers as well. Um, you know, we, that was just sort of something that we agreed. I decided that I would be the spokesperson um, and that as this thing sort of developed, because at the end of the day, if the NFL completely rejects this proposal and doesn't even want to move it forward, um, I have no problem, you know, putting my name on it and, you know, proposing it um, on behalf of the group. But that's kind of where we are with that. So while you're not willing to identify who is within the committee, is there a number or a financial number that the committee has agreed to that they've agreed to commit to if there is if there is a proposal that does move forward, even if it is an exploratory proposal? Yes. Yes. So so if you look at the three elements of our proposal, um, just to be clear, our organization is what we're proposing to the NFL first is that we can identify a list of you know, sort of qualified, financially qualified, vetted um, principles. So, you know, our, our group would, we would fund the initial exploratory piece of it. Uh, but clearly, I don't, our group wouldn't necessarily be the principal. That would be something that would probably have to be vetted in and selected by the NFL. We don't want to, you know, our proposal is not so one-sided that we would say, well, you have to have this person here. You have to inject this person as a principal. I mean, there's clearly a qualification, but as far as our group, um, part of that would be identifying sports, you know, athletes, entertainers, and entrepreneurs within our community who would like to play a role in um, contributing investment capital as a part of the other side of the principal ownership. So uh, we do have uh, funding to start that process. And we're putting together a team that would, you know, be an exploratory team and a project manager we meet with later on tonight. Um, so that's kind of where we are in that process. So I don't want to, I don't want to confuse the fact and say that our group has a, you know, um, you know, has the actual financier that's looking to be the principal at this moment. Our, our proposal is very clear that we want to help research and identify a qualified African-American principal. Um, Secondly, and if we can identify somebody within our community who may not reach that threshold, because that's a very serious threshold to have liquidity of $600 million right. potentially, um, that there would be some alternatives. So, And have you heard back from the NFL or Commissioner Goodell? We have not heard back from them as of uh, today. Well, we did hear back from them on Thursday. 
um, that they received our proposal and they were reviewing it. So that was good. Um, we felt like at least we have it in their hands. Um, you know, we, you know, at this point, whether they, you know, want to explore it further with us is, you know, is going to be up to them. Uh, we don't see any reason why they wouldn't at least want to talk to us about it. Um, we, we feel like, you know, it's, it's something that, especially with Oakland, with, you know, the, the, the history that we have with the NFL. I mean, we're part of the NFL for 47 years. We have the infrastructure. We have the operational capability. Um, so our community is very uh, uh, experienced at running NFL games. So it, And more importantly, though, I think the history of Oakland really makes it a great opportunity for the NFL and for um, our community, the African-American community, to really do something that could be historic. I mean, if you look at Oakland just from a historic sports perspective, um, we have had, you know, major league teams in Oakland, but more importantly, some of the athletes that have come from Oakland. You have Bill Russell, who, you know, uh, graduated from McClyman's High School, who is arguably in our in our minds the greatest of all time. Uh, but he 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 was the first African American head coach in any professional sport, and broke that barrier. We have Kurt Flood, who also uh, graduated from McClyman's High School in Oakland. Um, he arguably is responsible for free agency. Um, you have so many different social, um, civil moments in Oakland that have been, you know, done in Oakland that have been, you know, created and started in Oakland. And the significance of, you know, the, the Black Panther Party was started in Oakland. Uh, Alicia Garza, who is one of the founders of the Black Lives Matter movement, is from Oakland. Um, and so it's, it's just when it comes to social change, I think Oakland would be a great place pragmatically and symbolically for the NFL to really partner with. And it makes complete sense at this moment in time. Ray Bobbitt, Oakland business owner, member of the Oakland African-American Chamber of Commerce, and the lead signer of a letter to the NFL asking that they consider to bring back football to Oakland. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. We really appreciate the time. Best of luck on your proposal. All right. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. We will continue to follow developments on Ray's proposal to the NFL, and we'll provide updates on this podcast as they occur. The history of Black ownership within the NFL is a bleak one. While there have been a smattering of Blacks who hold a minority stake in a team, in a league whose players are 70% Black, no one Black person has ever owned a majority ownership in the NFL. Joining me to better understand how ownership in the NFL works is Ken Shropshire, Adidas Distinguished Professor of Global Sport and CEO of the Global Sport Institute at Arizona State University. The Global Sport Institute is the parent organization of Global Sport Matters and this podcast. Ken, welcome. Thanks, Andrew. So before we get into the letter that Ray Bobbitt sent Commissioner Goodell, can we talk a little bit about uh, black ownership in the NFL? What's been that history and, and where are we today? Well, it, it, certainly at the majority level, it, it has not existed. There have been uh, small pieces held by uh, various people, actually, uh, within franchises. And kind of most famously, the Miami Dolphins have people like uh, uh, Venus and Serena Williams own a piece of it. Uh, some entertainers own, own pieces. And, and it's been the case with some other franchises as well. But, but what I tell people is, I mean, when we're talking about ownership, I mean, that, that's sort of the... Uh, 
again, in this moment in time, another piece of symbolism, you know, there, you can call yourself an owner, but, but you've got, you know, less than 1%. Uh, but when there is a meeting of the owners, uh, depending on the league, the 30, 32 uh, in any league, uh, the people with those small interests are not in the room. They're not there making the decisions. And they're also not making the decisions that we focus on the most. That's the hiring of the head coach, hiring of general managers and the like. So what we have not seen in the NFL is majority ownership by an African-American. Uh, you know, we do have uh, at Buffalo, uh, Kim uh, uh, Pagula owns a, uh, is the uh, co-owner of, of the Buffalo Bills franchise. So, so, there, so there has been, and other women have owned as well, but African-American uh, presence at that level has been absent. And what does it take to actually own a team? Uh, we were talking a little bit about the uh, kind of the financial aspect of, of owning a, an NFL team today. What would an investment like that look like? Yeah, forget about it. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> you mean you and I couldn't uh, pool our resources and make a deal? Well, it's interesting you say it like that. There was a time when we could. I mean, there was a time when uh, to, to pay a couple million dollars for a franchise or 15 million or something like that um, in, in, the, in the 70s, you know, early 80s, an NBA franchise, for example, early 80s was 12, 13 million. You know, you can conceive of a way to pull together a group and, and do it and, and have someone who has uh, the financial investment that the leagues require, that there is a majority owner in some sense. So now we're looking at for an NFL franchise, I don't know. I mean, if you know, it could be anywhere from, uh, you know, uh, two or so maybe for a lesser franchise to, you know, to $5 billion for the, the, the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. So uh, pull out your uh, Forbes list of the richest individuals. I haven't. I have it right here. Lo and behold. So according <laughs> of, to Business in- of, of course you do. Of course I do. Uh, according to Business Insider, there are six, 615 billionaires in the United States, but only six of them are black. And I'm not going to quiz you on the six. Um, but at the top of at the bottom of that six list is Jay-Z with just uh, shy of a billion dollars. Uh, we have Kanye West, uh, uh, 1.3 billion. Michael Jordan, who does own um, uh, the Charlotte Hornets, uh, 2.1 billion. Right. Uh, Oprah Winfrey on that list, 2.6 billion. Uh, David Stewart, who came from uh, the Infotech world uh, at 3.5 billion. And then Robert Smith. Uh, the richest black man with a net worth of $5 billion. So do you think of, of those six names that we've thrown out there, Ken, that any of them have interest in wanting to become an owner in the NFL? Oh, so here's perspective for everybody. If you're going to buy the fanciest car you've ever dreamed of buying, and let's say it's a $60,000 automobile, you do not have only $60,000 uh, that you have access to in your life, uh, you have other assets, and, you know. So, so it's not a. Th think about this: Robert Smith, the richest black man on this list. His his net worth is the value of, you know, the Dallas Cowboys, or you know, maybe a bit bit more. So, sure, any of those six could be a player in this, and and most of those have been involved in conversations in some way, 
And, and frankly, they have not, you know, Oprah's not interested. Robert Smith's not interested. Um, you know, Jay-Z has been part of the Nets group and some, some other groups. You know, it doesn't really have the kind of wealth that, that you're talking about to, to be a real player in terms of being a majority owner in this space. So, so, so there's, there's the problem. And, and, and where I was going with, you know, you and I buying a franchise, there was a moment when it was possible. And during that moment in time, that's when discrimination was the harshest. That's when uh, many groups uh, went forward and tried to buy franchises. Not so much in, in the NFL, though there was, there was some activity, but the most fabled stories were with Major League Baseball, um, the NBA, and otherwise, where uh, just the, the racism, discrimination that existed at the time did not allow them to, to have success. And, and there is a little bit of the law that, that allows that to happen, in that in this kind of a, a partnership setting, and they're not formally legal partnerships, but you can choose your partners. You know, you can't be compelled to go into business some, with somebody you don't want to go into. There's actually a great case um, in the National Basketball Association involving a transaction uh, with the, the then Seattle Supersonics and the, the lack of owners wanting this particular owner to be part of their, their group. They, they voted against him, even though he had the money. And they, they, said, they basically said, yeah, why don't you want him? They basically said, we don't like him. And, and that was okay. So, so, you know, as long as you don't have an illegal reason, you, know, you would not say, we don't want black people. We don't want Latinos to own these teams. Uh, it's just, we don't, this person wouldn't fit with uh, our schemes. This person wouldn't fit with what's in mind for our future success. Uh, then you can keep somebody out. I, you know, and it's doubtful. Again, to, you know, celebrate where we are now. Uh, take uh, Ken and Andrew today. If we had, you know, we walked in with our $15 billion and we said we wanted to buy a franchise and nobody else is there or there's not somebody that looks as uh, 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 wealthy and ready to be supportive of the enterprise uh, as we do, we're likely to get it. And the discrimination at that level is not likely to happen today. Part of the challenge with buying an NFL team is one, the the cost and the kind of stipulations in terms of buying it, right? So the general partner is required to put up at least 30% of the purchase price and not hold uh, um, any debt that exceeds uh, $500 million. So the route to even get there, you know, through that one sole person, and then the fact that there are only six uh, black billionaires currently right now, um, it seems like that road that might be a little bit wide for some is a lot narrower for others, right? Yeah. So we need, yeah, you know, billion and a half, two billion liquid, uh, and we can take a loan for you know four hundred ninety nine million, and then we got to have some butt buddies to make up the difference, right? So it's a it's a it's a big it's a significant number, and it is it is the kind of asset uh, that. You know, absent uh, people that, that just kind of bought into the NBA, for example, are, you know, up until the pandemic and all the issues we have now were in great shape because they, they, they bought their franchises. And then a new media de- rights deal came about and they, they had an in- instant increase in revenues of, I don't know, tens of millions of dollars uh, in a way that they hadn't anticipated. So their cash flow is, is very good. And NFL franchise and, and the MLB, for example, the cash flow is is not uh, magnificent, but the increase in the value of the asset uh, is tremendous. If you can hold the asset, if you can handle, as we think about, you know, I realize the cash flow that it takes to maintain it. 
the the value is going to increase. I mean, I mentioned the in the eighties, uh, the the Clippers, for example, the the this, when they had then San Diego Clippers, L.A. Clippers, uh, uh, eventually was I think the transaction was twelve or thirteen million dollars for Donald Sterling to buy it. And as we know, when uh, it was uh, the fourth sale took place, uh, the number was right at two billion dollars. So you know, if you can if you can wait it out, I mean, I'm not very good at math or uh, what kind of percentage increase it, but I think going from you know uh, uh, ten million or so to to a couple of billion, eh, I, I, I'll take that. So let's talk about the letter that Ray Bobbitt sent uh, Commissioner Goodell. His proposal kind of stipulates a you know three different routes. He himself is not going to be the owner uh, of a team. He's trying to effectively place himself as a somewhat of an agent on behalf of the NFL to be able to pull together a proposal like this and a, a pathway forward to be able to get uh, a black majority owner into the NFL. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, about the letter? And, and if you've read the letter, you know, what, what, what do you think his chances are of getting a, an ear from someone at the NFL? I, well, it, it, again, it, 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 we can cut through everything. At the heart will be, where's the money coming from? And, and the idea that he's acting as a, an agent, a, a go-between, uh, that makes it somewhat problematic. You know, who, who, you know, who is it that we are talking to? If he was, in fact, representing someone uh, and he does have a, a buyer or buyers in place, that becomes a different conversation than he's doing what you know, maybe is, is traditionally done. But the idea uh, that you are, you know, give me the rights and then I will go sell the rights. I will go find somebody else to do this. Is somewhat problematic. I mean, where, where he's, um, you know, in a, a more positive position is uh, that he is stepping up and saying African American ownership is important. I have a vision on how to make this happen, and I have a vision on how to make it happen in a historic um, uh, AFL NFL franchise location. Um, you know, there, there can be a lot of debate, however, and 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 built into this conversation is building a stadium and sort of all the things that, that need to be done. But that, that in fact is why the Raiders, you know, part of why the Raiders left Oakland was uh, the absence of the world-class facility, the absence of the support to build one by, uh, by the city and the, in the region. And frankly, you know, it, it not can't be stated enough. There's pretty good competition, you know, not even across the Bay now down across the Bay and, and, and down uh, from the San Francisco 49ers. So if, if someone were to step forward and say, yes, I, I'm interested. Um, uh, I wasn't on the Forbes list. Uh, you missed me. Uh, and I have all this money and I'm very interested in wanting to become an NFL owner. I mean, the first step is someone else is going to want to have to sell their team. Um, and then two, all the other owners are going to have to agree that they want to let this person in. So what What's the vetting? What would the vetting process be like? Even if this path, if this path forward does exist, what what does what does that that person stand to either gain or lose in wanting to put their name out there and saying yes, I'm I'm willing to become an owner in the NFL if all these things are are in place and are and and are open to be being able to do that. Yeah, no, it's, it's, you raise a good point. I mean, it, it, you you think about one of the rarest assets in in the world. It's a it's a major league franchise in in the United States of the you know of the four major leagues. If you throw in, throw in the uh, major league soccer, then maybe you get up to you know, one hundred and fifty or so possibilities. So it, it it the two ways to to become an owner 
are via expansion or via a sale, no matter how that might take place. This letter, as far as I can tell, comes at a moment where the NFL wasn't contemplating anything necessarily. Like, you know, these things are, are stable. You know, there, there could always be somebody that has an interest. Uh, and, and there probably is, you know, some subtle conversations taking place, that sort of thing. Uh, the idea of uh, compelling expansion is, is, is really unlikely. Uh, so, so what you're trying to figure out is there's somebody that wants to sell their franchise and would the league allow the franchise to move, which uh, requires, uh, I think it's a super majority approval of the owners. So that's difficult in and of itself. I mean, you know, the good thing um, uh, in, in this letter is to, to get your name in the mix, to become someone that's looked to when these opportunities come up. Um, it, it, it's, you know, think about even people like uh, Stephen Ross, the owner of the, the Miami Dolphins, wanted a franchise in New York. That's kind of where his base of operations is for his real estate business. Wasn't successful with buying, I think it was the, the Jets. Eventually a franchise came open, the, the Dolphins, and, you know, he just changed up and said, okay, I'll do it in Miami. So, so, so that kind of flexibility, even by, uh, you know, I guess Ross is worth 14, 15 billion, something like that. Uh, but that's, you know, that's, that's the way it goes. Right. And I mean, with, with the pandemic, with everything going on right now, it doesn't sound like the NFL is in, uh, in, in financial dire straits. You know, there isn't a distressed asset that's out there right now that someone could look at and say, Hey, I could go in and buy a, a deal or I can go buy a team, uh, for a deal right now. Right. Because the season is so again, so far off and, and there's still a lot of uncertainty as to whether or not the pandemic will have an impact uh, to the NFL. Clearly, there will be some sort of impact, but, you know, the fall is still far away, right? Right. And, and, and just about for every owner, you know, football is a, a side business. There are, you know, Jerry Jones and, and the Rooneys. There are some that are, are fully immersed in this is all that they do. But the idea that, ah, this is a, a big financial hit, you know, th- these these owners are ready to survive this this moment. And, and who knows what the media uh, cash flow is and the other things that, that are allowed to continue. Who knows if the, the, the famous force majeure clauses uh, have been triggered with all the revenues they have flowing, even though they're not playing. And think about the NFL now is, you know, as far as they are set, have set forth, you know, look, they saved money on broadcasting the draft, I believe. Uh, it was very successful, one of the most viewed events, so the popularity soared even more. Uh, so they have they have not hit that hit that wall yet. When when they do, if if someone does need money, there, there's a growing uh, business out there of private equity funds that are looking to sell pieces of franchises. So if somebody has a franchise that's worth you know four or five billion, and they they need some cash. These private equity firms may find somebody that has a billion dollars that wants to have a, an interest, and you get a cash infusion. Or maybe Ken and Andrew can come up with enough, and they can get an even smaller interest. But but that 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 yeah, I'm doubting that's going to happen. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking things are going to go forward. I'm thinking the media rights, uh, even the absent fans in the stands, are are going to uh, allow payments to continue. It really is. I mean, it's you know gets into another show. It really is a matter of are they going to be able to play the games? Are the the the, the, the COVID uh, diagnoses? Uh, going to stay at a low enough level where they can play, or is is the season going to be stopped? Then some of these things could trigger. Ken, thanks for being on. Thank you, Andrew. 
That was Ken Shropshire, Adidas Distinguished Professor of Global Sport and CEO of the Global Sport Institute at ASU. That'll do it for this episode of The Huddle. The Huddle is a production of the Global Sport Institute and Global Sport Matters at ASU. To learn how sport impacts the world, visit globalsportmatters.com. And if you have a question or comment for The Huddle, head on over to Twitter. We are Global Sport MTRS. That's Global Sport MTRS. Thanks for listening. And until next time, so long.